Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Whenever I hear that passage, I think of the song by Beyonce, All the Single Ladies. You guys know this one? It became like the anthem for singleness, you know. All this, here's a few of the lyrics. All the single ladies, put your hands up. Uh, up in the club, we just broke up. I'm doing my own little thing. Decided to dip and now you want a trip because another brother noticed me. Because if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Don't be mad once you see that he want it. And it goes on. I'm all for women's empowerment and women's equality. But in my opinion, that doesn't sound like yet. That sounds like a person who has something to prove to somebody else, you know. Um, a few years ago, uh, another just on the topic of singleness, a film came out called Joker, and it caused a bit of controversy because people thought it was going to uh, fuel violence from this group called incels. If you, incels, if you don't know what that means, it means involuntary celibates, people who wish that they could find a partner, find a spouse but they can't seem to. It's, it's, it's involuntary celibacy. So I don't know if you remember this controversy, but the Joker, this movie was about this, this guy who is a bit of a loner, a bit of an outsider, and he used violence in order to punish other people uh, and to punish the world for the fact that he's single. So he's using violence to punish the world for the fact that he's, he's on his own. And, and those are very different things. What, what this... Uh, all the single ladies and and the movie The Joker, very different realities. But one of the things that they have in common is that both are trying to prove something. Both are trying to get back at somebody else. So both of them are trying to to punish somebody in a sense for the for the fact of their singleness. And whereas incels use violence, and obviously we would say that that's that's horrible, that's terrible. All the single ladies is using sexuality. It's weaponizing sexuality in order to hurt people back for the fact that they're single. Like that is so much better. And it's like, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, because there is this cultural narrative that says singleness is bad. Singleness requires explanation and justification. It's got to be somebody's fault. Like something must have gone wrong in order for a person to to be single as an adult. And, and that kind of thinking has made its way into the church as well. Isn't, isn't that true? In, in the church, we have this assumption that marriage is the, is the default mode for us. Like it's, it, like it's God's will for everybody to be married. And, and so marriage is, is a normal thing. It's, it is, it, you know, if, you, if you're a Christian and an adult, why would you be single? And it's like, where did that come from? Where did this kind of thinking come from? Well, today we're going to see it doesn't come from Scripture. It definitely does not come from Scripture. Now, this morning we continue through our Table Manners series. We're talking about Table Manners for brothers, sisters, saints, and sinners. And as we've been talking about the different challenges and problems in the Corinthian church, it's forced us to deal with uh, problems like uh, division and, and, and disunity and worldliness and to talk about church discipline and sexual immorality. Last week, Kevin did a, a great job teaching us about what Paul says about marriage. And this morning is kind of the continuation that, of that. Today, Paul is going to explain why as great as marriage is, singleness rules. 
I'd go for, so far as to say that. As great as marriage is, singleness rules in Paul's mind. In fact, he's going to give us some reasons why that's true. So, so before we get to that, before we get to those reasons why singleness rules, I think it's important that we talk about what we mean exactly by singleness. Because singleness isn't one thing. Singleness is many things. It takes many forms. One of those forms is the unmarried. So unmarried people are people who wanted to be married. They wanted a partner, a spouse, but they didn't marry. And, and I know people who are, in their, who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s who kind of came up during purity culture. And they were told that if you don't flirt, if you don't dress immodestly, then God will provide the one and you will have a great marriage. And they're still single today some of these folks. And, and, and so purity culture betrayed them. Purity culture broke its promises. And so these folks have remained unmarried. Some folks are celibate. And that's a very different thing. Celibacy is not the same as, as being unmarried. A celibate person is someone who could marry. They have every right to marry, but they've, they've chosen not to. It's a person who could marry, but won't. So an example of this might be what you call a, a, a side B Christian. This is somebody who whose sexual desires don't match uh, God's design in scripture for marriage. And so this is a person who's decided the, the best thing for me to do is to, to, in order to honor God with my sexuality is just to remain celibate. So celibacy is an option. Another form of singleness is those who are spiritually single. These are people who did marry, but probably shouldn't have. So again, this has been a, a, a largely informed or affected by purity culture because purity culture said if you marry a virgin, everything will take care of itself. Except what happens if you do and then t- 10 years later, only one of you is a Christian? And that's spiritual singleness. This is a real thing. I know people in this boat of spiritual singleness and it's hard. It's real and it's hard. Uh, another form of singleness is single parents. Uh, who have been abandoned by their spouse and partner. Another form of singleness is divorcees, people who've gone through the pain of divorce. And then there are widows and widowers who have whose spouse has actually died. And all of these are hard. Uh, every one of these is, is these are all people with, with stories. And every one of them has reasons and a complex story behind their singleness but do they have a place at the table? Do they have a place at our table? So as we talk about singleness, it's also going to be helpful, I think, to take a minute and talk about the circumstances in Corinth specifically, like what was actually going on. Paul opens this section by saying, about virgins, I got no command from the Lord, but I'll give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. And he he starts in verse 26, because of the present crisis, now, you've heard us say a few times as we've gone through this series that as you read 1 Corinthians, you're reading somebody else's email, okay? And so that's especially important here because if you forget that, it's going to be really easy to think that Paul hates marriage, like Paul is against marriage, and it's not true. But, but there is some kind of a crisis going on in Corinth, and it, the, the crisis has something to do with virgins. So what is this crisis? Well, there, there are some commentators who say that it is a food shortage, that there's like this, um, there is a, uh, a, a famine or a, there's a bit of a, you know, there's, there's this shortage of food in Corinth. And so 
there is it's, it's causing people to to be really stressed out and, and anxious and stuff and 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 I don't think that that's what's going on here in that I don't think that's what Paul is responding to because if that's what's going on it's like why does that why is anybody reconsidering their marriage choices in light of a food shortage I don't think that's what's going on I think we need to look at what's going on in this passage and kind of reverse engineer the situ- the, the the situation a little bit based on the clues and and we'll see that whatever this is whatever's going on the crisis is has affected this church in such a way that they are reconsidering their decision to marry so here's my theory my theory is that as the gospel and I'm not alone in this by the way but as the gospel has spread across the the city and the region of Corinth the gospel has reached this group of young women who are who are the temple virgins, okay. And at the time, there's about a thousand of these of the of these young ladies, these temple virgins. These are girls who had been abandoned at birth, and they were taken and raised by the priests in the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And the the idea behind these virgins is that when they reach the right age, they're going to their career is going to be they're going to serve the men. Uh, by of, of of Corinth by giving them uh, by pleasure by giving them pleasure okay, and so now that the gospel though has reached these these virgins, some of them have decided to give their lives to Christ, and suddenly a whole a, a group of them want to be part of this church, and if if that's what's going on, and I think that it is, then you've got some in, people who in Corinth who are already engaged. Who who are you know who are pledged? The, the language says that uh, their response is, well, hmm, we got these virgins now. That that changes things a little bit. So 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 maybe I want to be released from my pledge or my engagement to this person. Maybe I'll marry her instead. If if I'm right, then what also is going on is you've got this handful of, of virgins who are saying, man, after the lifestyle that I've lived, after what I've been through, maybe I shouldn't marry after all. Maybe it's too late for me. Maybe maybe it would be a sin for me to get married. So it's affecting engaged people. It's affecting, it's affecting virgins. It's also affecting celibate people who, who had decided that they were going to stay unmarried and then they, are, they come face to face with the reality of that. Now there's these virgins in, this, in the community and they're going... Well, I know I said I wouldn't marry, but this is a little bit different. This this changes things a little bit. So it's it's not hard for me to imagine that that's what's going on. And I could be wrong, but whatever this is, whatever's going on here, Jesus didn't have anything to say about it. And that's why Paul says, I have no command from the Lord. So in other words, Jesus didn't deal with this, so I'm going to do the best that I can as an apostle. And from here on, Paul's going to give four reasons why singleness rules. Four reasons why he would say singles have an advantage. Okay? The first reason is because singles have fewer troubles. They have fewer troubles. So in this in the this first part of the of the of the uh, section, Paul's saying that because of this crisis, because of the troubles that are coming, because of the troubles that face married people, I want you to remain as you are. I don't want you to, this isn't a time for you to change your plans, so remain as you are. And his argument doesn't have anything to do with sin or, or righteousness. It's not a question of whether it's sinful to, to get married or to stay single. It's a question of who has more troubles and who has fewer troubles. Verse 28, Paul says, if you marry, you will face many troubles that singles will not. 
Now, as a pastor, I've done a number of, of weddings. And when I do a wedding for a couple, one of the privileges of, do, of officiating a, a wedding is doing premarital counseling. And part of my job in premarital counseling is to introduce them and prepare them to the troubles that they're going to face. Like, what do you do after the wedding when you are in a conflict with your spouse and you realize that, like, when they get angry, they turn into a monster and they scream and swear and throw stuff. And you didn't even, you never saw that before the wedding. So what happens? Well, that's, that's troubles. What happens when it's Christmas and your in-laws, both sides, both sets of in-laws want to invite you over to join them for Christmas morning and Christmas dinner? How do you sort that out? Well, that's troubles. What do you do when you realize after baby comes along that you guys have very different parenting philosophies that you'd never sorted out? Well, again, these are, these are troubles. And Paul's saying, I want to spare you this. Verse 28, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I want to spare you this. He's not saying that single people don't have any troubles. He's saying they don't have these troubles. And whereas married people have many troubles, single people have fewer. And so for that reason, Paul would say marriage rules, marriage, married, uh, married folks have seem to have an advantage. Another reason is because there are fewer attachments. Single folks simply have fewer attachments. Um, in this section, it seems like Paul's saying that the, the, the Christian's lifestyle should be informed by the fact that at any moment, Jesus could come back and all of these things that we see in this present form of the world are going to disappear. And so, verse 29, marriage itself will disappear. Verse uh, verse 30, your the, the mourning and the happiness, like the mourning and the rejoicing that you experience temporarily, these things are going to disappear. If you go shopping, you know, you should live like you don't because the, your, your possessions, it's all going to disappear. It's all temporary. Even verse 31 Whatever your attachments, all of the worldly attachments that you've got, these are going to be gone when the Lord returns to wrap it all up. Because, he says in verse 31, this world in its present form is passing away. So these things are temporary. Now, this isn't a new idea. This is something that Jesus actually had something to say about in, in his earthly ministry. You might remember in chapter 22 of, of Matthew that, that uh, some Sadducees came to challenge Jesus. They had what they thought was this killer test. And they're like, all right, so imagine this, Jesus. You've got a, you've got a woman who is married to a guy and the guy dies. And then she remarries another guy. And then he dies. And then she remarries a, a third guy. And, and then, so after seven husbands, their question to Jesus is, so in the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? Huh, Jesus? And Jesus' answer, verse, chapter 22, verse 29, is, is you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Like, guys, you don't, know, you don't even know what the Bible says. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. That's what Jesus says. Like Jesus and Paul are both saying here that marriage is a temporary thing. That in the, in the kingdom, when we are face to face with the Lord, marriage will be obsolete. So to singles, Paul says, like, if you're single your whole life, if you go your entire life 
and, and you are single in, in any of these forms that we've been talking about, you actually have a head start over the rest of the population who are, are married. You have fewer attachments and that's why singleness rules. Another reason is because single folks are less divided. Single people are less divided. In this section, what's going on here is Paul is just highlighting the fact that single people or so that, that marriage people, married people, their interests are divided. Their, their concerns are, are divided. Their priorities are divided. You've got single people who aren't divided like this. Their, their concern is, okay, well, how do I please the Lord with my lifestyle? And married people, their concerns are divided between, well, how do I please the Lord with my lifestyle? How do I serve his kingdom? And how do I please my spouse? How do I please my husband? How do I please my wife? And, and for that reason, Paul's saying here that singleness is an advantage. Like married people have all these different concerns, all these different priorities that are sometimes in competition. Not always, but sometimes they are. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, well, here, you know what I want for you? I want for you to live in a right way that is, that is in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's his, his vision and his dream for them. And, and so, if you're, so for single people, they have access to that kind of a lifestyle because singleness is less divided than, than married folks. This section, I, just, I think it's important to highlight before I go on. This is a strong argument against Christians cohabiting. If you don't know what cohabitation is, this is when people live together, whether or not they're sleeping together. Christians, a Christian man and woman who live together, uh, whether or not they're sleeping together, this is a, a good argument against that. Because in verse 34 here, Paul says, look, if you're single, you've got single person concerns. And if you're married, you've got married person concerns. And there's no there's no married person who is has only single person concerns. And there's no married person who has single person concerns. And so if you if you want to get married, great, go for it. That's the, that's the right thing to do. And, and live like a married person once you're married, but not before. And, and I've never heard a sermon on that, but I think that's, a, that's, really, that's really right there in this passage. And I thought that was too important to leave out. So uh, a final reason why Paul would say singleness rules is because it's just better. It seems like Paul is saying it's better. And yes, I know how that sounds. Okay, but f- come with me here for a minute. For some Corinthians, marriage solves a problem. Okay, verse 36, they are worried. Okay, they're worried like we're engaged, we're, we're pledged to one another, and we just, man, we can't keep our hands off each other. Like, what do we do? Well, Paul says, you should marry. You actually should marry. It's like a preemptive strike against temptation. And so verse 38, he who marries the virgin does the right thing. But... Backing up a little bit, verse 37. If you have settled the matter uh, in your own mind, if you're not under compulsion, if your will is under control, if you've decided on celibacy, Paul would say, this person does better. This person actually does better. And you're like, really? Like that's that sounds like an overstatement. It does, right? That sounds like an overstatement. How could it not be uh, an overstatement? And, and again, I think I would answer that question by saying it's not a question of sinning or not, okay? It's not a question of whether this person is sinning, but Paul is saying that in your situation, if you want to do the right thing, yes, get married. 
you that person does right but 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 the person who does not marry does better like to say say more simply i might say it like this it is right to get married if you need to marry okay it is right to get married if you need to and if you can't help yourselves but it's better to stay single if you can there's fewer troubles there's fewer attachments you're less divided you're you're less uncertain it's it's just it's just better the person who doesn't marry her does better. Now again, I know how that sounds. I know how it sounds, but I didn't. But I didn't write it. I just think we need to be faithful and, and try to get, try to understand what it is that Paul is saying and and contrast that to the cultural narrative that we face. Because in our culture, we assume that marriage is the default mode, and Scripture does not. Like, let's not forget that in the garden, what God said to the man isn't, he didn't, like, he didn't say, it's not good for the man to be unmarried. What he said is, it is not good for the man to be alone. And and so as great as marriage is, it's not like singleness is a compromise or like a sign of failure. It's not, singleness is not a lesser mode of being, okay? It is a, a valid and wise lifestyle it is it is an empowered and strategic and and kingdom minded godly way to live and this passage makes that clear now i didn't always believe that but i do today i didn't always believe that i i have battled with insecurity for a long long time in my life and through university and college that was especially paralyzing for me and now what I'm about to say, I don't assume that this is true for anybody else but me, but I know that in my life, I know that the only times that I felt like I mattered, the only times I felt important and special was when there was a girl who thought that I mattered, when there, when there was a girl who, who liked me. It, like, even when I was a Christian, it wasn't enough to know that God loved me. It wasn't enough to know that God knew me, that God accepted me. That, that wasn't enough. But if there was a girl who was pretty, and if she was funny, and if she was smart, and if she liked me, like if she liked me, then I felt seen. Then I felt known and accepted. And then I felt special. And that's when I felt important. And, and I remember one Sunday night, a, a long time ago, it was at the end of first year university, when I was on a bus ride back to Guelph, to, back to my place, after having been at home and visiting my family for the weekend, and my girlfriend and I had, had just broken up and I was bummed about it. And I was sitting in my seat in the dark on the bus and listening to my, my, uh, my breakup music mixtape on my Walkman. And uh, as I was listening to it, I was actually, and I was weeping. And I was sad. And I was like, how, how can I be in this place again? And you know what? I had a vision. I'm not saying it was like a real vision, like from, from God, but I, but I, it was like, I could see uh, I could see Jesus in the seat opposite me. And he then he came and he sat beside me. And he spoke. And he said, he said, everything that you have been looking for in these girls all this time, I have been waiting to be that for you. I've been right here all along. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Him saying, I have been right here all along. Now, Shortly after this, I met a young lady named Heather Gingrich, and the rest is, is history, so to speak. 
But even if I hadn't, I want you to know that even if I hadn't, that night on the bus, that's when I knew that I had been tricked by this cultural narrative. I had been tricked. I had believed that if I'm single, it's because there's something wrong with me and I'm incomplete. And there's some, there is a problem in Mike Molesky that only a partner, only a, a wife can fix. And it's not true. It's not true. It is a lie. And I spent a lot of years in my life, of my life in relationship after relationship trying to make that lie true. And, and I know that I'm not alone. How many, I, I, I can think of how many people in my life, myself included, punish ourselves over that lie. How many people punish ourselves over that lie? And, 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 and probably you're not going to become like a joker and, and use violence in order to punish the world and prove something uh, about yourself because of your singleness. But how many single ladies out there, how many single men out there are, are, are punishing themselves and punishing others over this lie that you need to be married in order to matter. It's just not true. And it is such a tragedy. And it's got such a hold on us, even in the church, when we have such good news for the culture. We have amazing news for the culture. You know, the most Christianity says that the most fully human person who ever lived went his whole life and he lived and died an unmarried virgin. Jesus Christ went his whole life and never married, never made a baby. That's, that's our Lord. That's our Lord. And when, when Jesus died and when he rose, that was the start of a whole new thing like a whole new way to be uh, alive, a whole new way of being human, a whole new way to be the people of God. And he took all of these disconnected people and he brought us together into a spiritual family where you are not better off if you're married and you are not worse off if you're single. Because in Christ, we are family and we are connected and we are joined by the bond of the Spirit not joined by blood relations, we're joined by the Spirit himself. And, and as great as marriage is, one of the things that means is that as great as marriage is, that bond that joins us as brothers and sisters in Christ is actually greater than what joins us uh, as man and woman in marriage. Let me say that again. As great as marriage is, the bond that joins brothers and sisters in Christ is a greater bond than the bond that joins man and woman in marriage. Now, marriage is great. Marriage is totally great. But I, what I wouldn't want us to do is to make an idol of the chance to be one flesh when Scripture offers us the opportunity to be one body and one spirit with one Lord and one faith and I think there's a lot of things we could say about this, but I've been really helped by the work, by the writing of a, of a, a theologian in the U.S. Her name is Bridget Eileen Rivera. She's actually celibate, and her celibacy has cost her. She has suffered for it. But she says, um, The blood of Christ is the great equalizer in Christian relationships. If you are married to a Christian spouse, then your marital bond pales in comparison to the relationship that you share with your spouse as siblings in Christ which is the very same kind of relationship that you ought to share with your closest Christian friends. 
Why? Well, she goes on and says, because the bond that you share as siblings in Christ will last for eternity, while your marital bond will pass away. One day your spouse will cease to be your spouse, remaining only your sibling in Christ. And I just think that that is so true and so profound. That is something that I know I need to, I need to spend some time sitting in that and thinking about that. That, that, that for, for married people, their marriage is a, is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful picture of the gospel that joined uh, us together in Christ. That's what marriage is. But if you're single, you actually get to cut out the middleman. You get the, to cut out the middleman. You actually have the reality of which marriage is just the picture. So, so listen to this by Sam Albury. He says, for married people... Sorry, he says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to, which is our own relationship with Jesus. Now, let's take a minute to just apply this specifically, first of all, to, to married people. Okay. I would want to say that none of this should put us off of marriage. If you want to know what scripture has to say about marriage, check out Ephesians 5. Check out uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and, and the message that, that Kevin shared with us last week. Uh, and you'll see how the Lord feels about marriage. Uh, on the other hand, let's not order our lives and order our church in such a way that assumes that everybody should be married. Because I know lots of folks, and I know I know lots of churches that would say that they are pro singleness. And 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 if that's you, if that's you, if you're a married person who believes that you're really pro single, I I would just ask: Do your relationships show that? Do your relationships reflect what you think you believe about singleness? I I might say I might say this: If you can't think of one or more close friendships that you have with single people you just might not be as pro-singleness as you think that you are. Sorry. If, if you can't think of one or more close friendships with single people in your life, we, we just might not be as pro-singleness as, as we think that we are. But, but here's my hope for, single, for, for married people, okay? Here's my hope for married people. You know how when you're out shopping and you're kind of running errands and stuff, you're, you might get a text from your spouse and who says like, hey, can you swing by Canadian Tire and grab like some batteries? Can you grab some light bulbs? Because we're out. And even though you're not there, you'll do it because this is your spouse and you, have, you understand there's a certain obligation you have to your spouse. Well, you know how by and large, and there are certainly exceptions, but by and large, the people that you're not married to, you know how they don't text you with those kinds of requests? Like that's kind of the point. Like, they really could. They, in, in some ways, they really could, right? Spiritual family, I think, means that there is a kind of obligation we still have to one another in Christ. And, and it seems to me one, just one small way that we could live this out, we could, one small way we could be pro-singleness is by making this obligation normal and explicit by saying like to, to one another, hey, I'm heading to Value Village. Is there anything you want me to, to keep my eyes open for? I'm on my way to Canadian Tires. Anything you want me to pick up for you? Uh, I've got like, I'm, I've got a, a bunch of clothes I'm about to uh, get rid of. Um, does anybody need them? Does your, have your kids grown out of their clothes? Do they need some, do they need some hand-me-downs? And, and on and on and on. 
Okay, you can you can imagine all the things. This is what I'm saying here is this these are ways for us as a church to share all things in common. You know, this vision of of the Acts 2 kind of church. And and, and that's kind of the vision behind the, the faith family experience. That's why we do this. Now, let me say a word specifically to single people. A, a word to single people. Because I am, I am thrilled that there are people who have chosen singleness, who b- before the Lord have decided that the best way that they're going to honor God with their life and, and serve him with their life is by remaining single. And I admire you if that's your choice. I also grieve that there are some people who have had singleness imposed on them. And, and that was not okay. Maybe you were, you were tricked by purity culture. It, it broke its promises to you. Maybe you were, you were lied to or you were betrayed, perhaps by your parents or by a youth pastor who promised that if you don't wear a, a skirt that's too short or if you don't wear a, a halter top or if you don't wear a bikini to the beach, Uh, And if you just practice modesty and if you practice purity, you're going to find the one. And, and, And I grieve that that's been the experience of some of you listening to this. And, and, or or some of you were, were abandoned by somebody. You may have been abandoned. And, and so in all of these examples, that wasn't okay. And, and that, that's hard. I, we, I, I totally, uh, understand and we're and, and sensitive to that. And I hope that at the same time, you don't assume that marriage is the solution to that. Like, let me say this as sensitively as I can. I hope that you don't assume that life would be way better right now if you were married. And, and I would want to remind all of us, and especially unmarried folks, of what is actually ours if we are joined together as spiritual family, because whether we're married or single, we can have the experience of having children. Who says you can't have children? You can be a parent. You can raise children in the faith. Someday I'll tell you about Margie, who spiritually adopted me when I was a new believer and when I was a spiritual orphan. Margie changed my life. And I could tell you about lots of uncles and aunties that my kids have. Uh, who, with whom they are not related by blood, but who are just as present or far more present and far more involved in my kids' lives than some of our actual blood relatives. So single people, singleness can't stop you from having the experience of raising children in the faith. It can't. It can't stop you. And, and you, you can have community. You are at no disadvantage for being able to experience community and friendship. You can belong to to, to many people and and you can shape their lives and you can have your life shaped by others. And so singleness is not an obstacle to, to community, to being known and to being loved and embraced and included at the, the Lord's table. Of course you can have community and you can even have intimacy you can, of course you can have intimacy. I am not talking about sex. I'm not talking about sex. I mean what sex is designed to accomplish. You know, there are lots of young people, uh, especially because of purity culture, a lot of young people got it backwards and, and said they're going to get married so that they can have sex. And, you know, those who marry for sex learn pretty quickly that it's an idol. And it doesn't solve all of your problems. And if you get married in order, in order to have sex, you suddenly realize like there's actually like a lot of hours in the day. You know what I mean? 
But sex is about being totally vulnerable with another person in a way that builds trust and builds intimacy. That's what sex is for. And you know what else does that? You know what else does that? There's a few things that do. Um, So does resolving conflict build intimacy. So does uh, apologizing when you've hurt someone or wronged someone. So does forgiving another person. So does walking with a person through a crisis or visiting a person in a hospital and on and on and on. There are actually all kinds of ways we build relational intimacy that are deep and profound and and don't involve sex and don't require marriage. And what I'm saying here is singleness isn't even an obstacle to intimacy or community or children. Now, um, you know, after this study, I, I am I'm more resolved than ever that as a as an individual who like is a follower of Jesus and and even as a church in this culture in this moment, I've got some work to do. I've got I've got some unpacking to do about my view of of singleness and marriage. Like um, it needs to be normal and natural for single people to find a place at our table and at, and at my table. I've got some repenting to do in this area. I know, I know that now. I've got some repenting to do. Because it's totally cool if I'm a single person and I want to have the experience of spiritual children and I want to have the experience of community and I want to have the experience of intimacy and companionship, but I still need to have a spot at the table in order to live that out. I still need to be welcome at your table. And so for us, it needs to be more than just safe uh, here for single people. It needs to be more than just safe. It's got to be natural. It's got to be normal for there to be single people because that is a biblical church, it seems, now, based on this passage. That's what a biblical church is. You know, I know lots of pastors and and churches who talk about biblical marriage. They talk about God's design for marriage, or they talk about traditional marriage, and yet they treat marriage like it is this idol, like it is this deal-breaker but in, in, in relationships, um, and, and such that nobody but, but married people can belong. And, and I would just say, like, you know what? That's not biblical. That's actually not biblical. God's design for the church. Of, yes, of course it includes marriages, but it also includes, you know, Jonathan and David. That's biblical. And Ruth and Naomi. That's biblical. And Elijah and Elisha. And Mary and Elizabeth. And Paul and... Timothy and Titus and Jesus and his disciples and on and on and on. And, you know, for anybody who is unmarried, for any uh, widow or spiritually single or for any side B, uh, gay, lesbian, trans, bi, queer person who is trying to honor God with their sexuality and honor God and give themselves to the Lord, body and spirit. Any person in that situation trying to figure out how to carry their cross and honor God with their life. Do you know what I want to, you know what I have to say to that person? Like, so am I. So am I. And and so are the rest of us. And so like, there is going to, there has to be a spot at this table for you. There's got to be a spot at this table for you. You know, when, when we, before the pandemic hit and you might have dinner guests, you know how you don't start eating until everybody's sitting down at the table, right? Everybody sits down and that's when you begin. Because before then, it feels incomplete. You're not ready to begin. Well, church is the same. We need to come to the place where we realize we're not ready to eat until everybody is sitting at the table who should be. 
And, and, and I hope that we can be that kind of church, that we can be that kind of church, that as singles come into this community, regardless of the reason for their singleness, that any one of us here, any one of you listening to this, should be happy to just move over a little bit in order to make space for you single people. I just think that's got to be what table manners means for us. Amen. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.